I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Welcome back to another episode of Pocket Presence after a crazy championship weekend. Holy shit, Tyler. Like, some blown leads, some unexpected stuff. I just, there's a lot of ball that we're going to be talking about. But more importantly today, we have a very special guest to me, Alameda Zacchaeus. What's up, dude? Happy you're here. How have you been? I've been good, man. Happy to be here, man. I'm, uh, I've been following your journey. Appreciate and, it. Uh, it's been it's been an amazing thing to just watch. Thank you. You, you know, do your thing, bro, off the field. So, um, uh, you know, I'm happy to be here. You know, you yeah. know, we go back. We go we go, we go way back. For those of you that do not know, Alameda was my receiver in college at the University of Virginia. I grad transferred to UVA, played my final two years there, and he helped me get to the league by catching a lot of balls by Honestly, just yeah. like elevating the program in general. He was that X factor for us on offense. And then when I left, continued his path. And now he's in the NFL. It's been five years for you. Is this your fifth year? Yeah, just finished Oh, my, my God. He just finished his fifth year. And the coolest part is when he got to the NFL, he actually went to the Atlanta Falcons, which was where I was. So I was at UVA, then went to the Falcons. He came in as an undrafted free agent to the Falcons, stayed with me for his first summer when he was trying to make the team. And then took off and hasn't looked back since. And recently wrapped up the season with the Eagles. And now he's a free man. Unrestricted free agent. I think, what was your situation last year? Was it still unrestricted free agent? Like same kind of deal? Or was it a little different? Uh, free agency last year, I was unrestricted, yeah. So now he gets a fresh start again, going into year six. And if you guys have seen him, he made a lot of plays this year. Didn't like get a lot of targets in that Eagles offense. Was super stacked across the receiver room but found his way to make big plays in the pass game as a blocking receiver downfield, always around the ball. And uh, it was a fun year to watch. I'm like, I'm so excited that I've gotten to see your full progression from like running choice routes and bubble routes and like trying to crib those to like, now you're running in an NFL system. Like you're doing everything. Um, And I don't know. It's just, it's been fun to watch. It's my, my favorite story to tell people about you is when I was a junior in college, you were a sophomore, I believe. Yeah. So I went to our offensive coordinator's office like midway through the season. We sucked. Like we were bad. We were two and 10 that year, but like we had guys like me and Alameda and then like the drop off was just heavy because we had a lot of people transfer out. Our O-line was like super young. So we were, we were fighting an uphill battle. And I was like, look guys, I do not care how small he is. Please let him play X receiver, play him out wide. Like I do not want him to just be the slot receiver. And the kickback or pushback that I got was that he's too small to play outside receiver. And now you look six <laughs> years later, seven years later, and my guy's playing as an X receiver, a Z, an F, for those of you that know, like, NFL personnel. He's playing all over the field. And it's just – it's been fun to watch, man. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey, bro. Um, yeah, like, I, I pride myself on just being able to play all those positions and um, – you know, being able to win wherever I line up. Yeah. So, was it always like that? No, but like, <laughs> you know, you, like I, I work, I work my ass off, bro. So, hundred you know, percent. I just continue to get better each and every each and every year. And um, yeah, man, I, I still haven't even like scratched the surface on like my potential. I believe I, I know that. Um, you know, I'm I'm just excited to see what this year will look like for me. Yeah, I'm excited for you too. I think like. There's something about like, and for people that don't know, you're from Jersey. Philly was kind of like your hometown favorite team. So like you got to go back to the Eagles this year and like experience that or like family was close by for most of the year. Yeah. My, my mom's not far from me at all. Yeah. So like, 
Yeah, yeah that's it's, that's it's awesome. Been... It's cool that like you got to dip your toes in with Atlanta, get situated, and now like everything came full circle. And now it's like, how do you feel? Like, are you like, okay, I did that. I went home. Like, I did that. Now, like, let me go find the best situation where I can be a guy, or like where I can go try to scratch and claw to be a guy. Like, what are you looking for? Yeah, like for me, like, just going into this next year is just I need the opportunity. Yeah, you know, like you said, we, we were, I was in the stack room. I knew that signing up you know, signing up for this, yeah. coming into the Eagles this year. But, like, this year is just about getting those targets, bro. Because, yeah. you know, you look at the stats and, you know, the production, yards per catch. It's crazy. After, <laughs> like, bro. It's insane. Like, I have, I have it. It's all there, bro. Yeah. So, it's like, I just need the targets at this point. And, uh, you know, whatever whatever team or, you know, system that, that I can get that in is, yeah. is where I want to be. Well, it's it's cool too because like your style of play, like you are very versatile, and I feel like the NFL. If you were to play like ten years ago, you wouldn't be as valuable as you are today. Like you see a lot of guys. Like I mean, look at the guys we played with: Brandon Powell, we played with mm-hmm. Greg Dorch. Like these guys were practice squad guys in Atlanta when you were playing. That like found their way into systems, and they're just finding ways to get touches, and they're making plays, and yeah. they're getting a lot of touches. Right? Like yeah. maybe bad teams, but they're finding their way on the field. And they're getting the ball thrown to them. I also think, like, I felt like the scheme-wise, like, it was not – what's the way to put it? I know everybody got fired. Like, OC got fired. Like, everybody's gone. But watching all year, I'm like, you guys had so much talent to not be put in favorable positions to, like, get an open space. It was a lot of man beaters, a lot of, like, having to win one-on-ones. And I was like, it's not the most – effective way to play football in the NFL. And I know that like you might not want to go into it fully, but I'm like for you to make plays the way that you did in like very small, probable ways should be encouraging for you. Cause you're seeing guys around the league, like getting set up for like open space bubbles reverses. Like how did that make you feel like watching all around the league and knowing like kind of what you were in last year? Uh, it just made me realize like situation and timing is so important like that's the what the league is mostly about because you see a lot of players like we talked about Greg Dorch you know Brandon Powers like I I've already known that they can play yep I've, I've seen it in practice you know I've seen it in the games like and then they get in the right opportunity in the right time and you know they're able to to yeah. shine and really show the world that you know that they're capable of being that guy yeah. you know um so you know, that's just kind of what I what I learned just just being in a league. You know, it's a lot of it is just you know finding that trying to find that right situation, and really it's about timing, bro, and yeah. then just capitalizing off your opportunities. It's crazy because like that timing too, like timing in normal people's lives, I feel like maybe it's a couple months. Like timing in NFL life, like it's years. Like you have to hope that like at the right place and the right time, things come full circle with the right coaching staff, right like situation you not to have injuries other people like maybe they do have injuries and it just yeah. has to like the stars do have to align especially if you're not like a first to third the, round and the window like, isn't that big either like, like you talked about I, Kurt, normal yeah. people live like a no. career could be 40 to 50 years if you work a regular office job like me but in the nfl you know what the average yeah. career spans like less than four years so you don't have that kind of time to figure yeah. out the time which can yeah. be frustrating i imagine yeah and it's like on top of that um like mm. like I said, I work I work my ass off, so I also understand that. So it's like I put so much into yeah. what I do that like it kind of takes away from other things yeah. that I you know want to pursue in life. But like I'm also I'm very aware of the fact that yeah. the window is so small. Yeah. Like 
you know, you get so many chances at this and I'm yeah. just trying to when, maximize when you, when you look possible. at yeah. not getting the amount of targets you maybe want in a year, how are you measuring progress for yourself? Like you're not on the field, you're not padding the stats. So how are you making sure one, you're getting better and two, like you feel like you're moving forward in your career. So you, you got to find different ways to, to be locked into the game. You know, I felt like for, for my situation this year, you know, making a play, I couldn't define how well I was playing by how many catches I got yeah. in the game. Like, I would lose my, my mind. <laughs> I would have lost my mind for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would have lost my mind if I, if I judged it that way. Yeah. So I had to just shift my mindset and just understand the, the reality of the situation I was in. It's like, okay, um, you can make a play without having the ball in your hands. And a lot of the times it was just about like, all right, is my effort there? Like, am I finishing to the ball, be, just being around the ball? And that's the type of progress that, you know, I was kind of like just tracking throughout the years. Like, okay, I like, I like my effort on this play. Even like certain routes and stuff, like I wasn't getting targets and stuff, but like I still tried to put stuff on tape for people to see. It's yeah. like, you're bro, auditioning for other people you know all the time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And like, Kurt, you know, like, yeah. you know, you, you are on one team, but like you're really putting film out there for everybody else though, too, at the same time. So, um, yeah, like you, I just had to shift my mindset though, and really like, you know, I can't. Like I, like I said, I couldn't judge how I was doing based on like, all right, I got six six catches this game or yeah. whatever. Like you know, like I'm looking yeah. at your stats and like your career, and I think the idea of are you around the ball and are you making the most of your opportunities? Like, dude, five years, like your first, like the thing is, your four years in Atlanta, like you showed your consistency in both the run game. And in the past game, right? Like every time you, like your average, your career average right now, I don't even know if you've looked this up, 14.3 yards per catch, I believe is the, the stat, right? Like, so this year you had 164 yards on 10 catches. That's 16.4 average, two touchdowns. Like st statistically speaking, like this was your best year per catch that you've ever had. Yeah. And it's year five. And it's like, right. People look at that and be like, okay, like maybe he's a guy that we need to like get involved in our offense. Like maybe like actually game plan around, like get him in open space because I'm sorry, but to have 10 catches this year, to have 40 catches last year and your average is as high as it is, like those are Devonta Smith type averages, right? Like it's not, it's no question. And like people say stats don't lie. And I just think you found your way through your first five years to be in some very stacked receiver rooms. And For sure. I don't know. I hope, I hope for you that like, I know that you want to win, but I hope that you go to a team that's not very stacked because <laughs> I want to see you eat. Like, I, I just, I think that everybody that's ever seen you in practice knows that you practice how you play. Like we see the production, like you're always, I've had so many texts this year when you scored your few touchdowns from like Eels fans and stuff, like Alameda, your boy, like, he, like, why don't we feed him? I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's just one of those things where um, I'm pulling for you and I hope that like, you can keep it together to have the consistency to finish your career. Like as long as you want to play, but like, mm -hmm. I don't know, you see those quarterbacks that go to teams where they just want to be the guy. And I right. hope that you get to go somewhere that you get to be featured heavy. Um, but I think, like you said, you're, you're auditioning for 31 other teams every time you step on the field, especially if you're not a guy on that team. And right. I would say the audition for what you've been given has been really good. Um, so it's, it's been fun to watch, but yeah, Tyler, you can, you can keep running with yeah. it, but I definitely wanted to dive in and I, I want you guys to take me back to your time early in Atlanta. It's fun. Like to 
undrafted guys out of the same school you're you're living together like did it just feel like an extension of college (laughs) when you're there like both probably trying to make the team unsure of what it even looks like just just take me back to that time in both your lives man yeah you Um, go first yeah i'll say like i told kurt like (laughs) like bro you give me a bed and wi-fi like you'll never know i'm here bro that was true So like I I just um you know I, I always try to when I'm staying with somebody or I need somewhere somewhere to stay I, I try to be so respectful and just be out the way to be honest yeah um but like like I, I like I said I told Kurt bro you give me Wi-Fi and a bed bro like you won't know I'm there yeah. and I I for the most part like <laughs> I was just in the room yeah um gaming bro like just gaming and um you know if I wasn't at the facility. I was just gaming, sleeping, and, and then, then gaming um, some more, <laughs> and then gaming more, yep. and then uh, your dog would be like right outside the door waiting for me. Oh sometimes. my god, yeah, man, Lola, how how are they doing? So we have we only have one dog now. So okay. Lola is living on a farm in Arizona, I believe. So when we had Scout, she started getting like aggressive with Scout, and so mm-hmm. we so this preface family life guys, we had a bunch, we had a lot of dogs at one point. One of them passed away from old age. Um, that was Zoe. We had her like literally I was 17 years old, went and picked <laughs> her up from Craigslist and like we had her forever. Um, and then Lola, we rescued her right before I tore my ACL in college. So like she was super, like she was my dog. We got her, she was five weeks old, like the only one in the litter that lived. And she was this big like Anatolian shepherd mix. And we had to put oh, her on a farm. Oh yeah, she was a big <laughs> ass dog. Like <laughs> and obsessed with a llama day. Um, but yeah, we, we have one dog now. He's a Husky named Riggs. Um, but yeah, she's, she's living her old age out on a farm. She's doing good. So, but yeah, do you, do you still game as much as you used to? Like, have you like, like life outside of football? Is that still your thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're, you're deep. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Bro, I don't think that'll ever change, bro. Uh, I, I do. I I feel like I've been saying this for years, but like getting in streaming, bro, like, I feel like I need to. Do yeah. That. Well, I can definitely I can hook you up. Obviously, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is like live streaming is fun and it's interactive and it's a way to engage. But I found so much joy out of like making the long form videos, posting them, and then walking away. And like I have no attachment to them. Like however they do, they do. But like I feel like especially from a like making money perspective, live streaming you'll make the money while you're streaming. But like making the content that you make one time and seeing the revenue month after month just like build is probably the most satisfying feeling in the world to me, like in the business world for me right now. So, um, yeah. man, the Madden stuff's been fun. Like I know you probably still play 2K and maybe some Call yeah. of Duty. By the way, guys, yeah. it was a nasty <laughs> Call of Duty player. Yeah. Still not as good as me, but it is what it is. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> nah, he was really uh, good. So. But that's it's cool because I think like, we're starting to see in this age of football where like you get to see sneak peeks into other people's lives a little bit more outside of what they do on the field. But like the whole gaming thing is like, I would say 90% of the guys in the league game, maybe mm-hmm. 10% of the people tell people they game because they still are like, I don't want them to think I don't take football seriously. And right. I, I'm glad that it's changing. Like you see guys having more shows and podcasts and stuff, but like, I'm telling you guys, these guys in the league are gaming. Yeah. Like, they're all gaming and that's that's what we're talking about outside of the locker room in the locker room like it's um but it doesn't take away from the training and everything but like everybody's got there's there's something that they escape with because it is a job like no matter how much you love it 
So and it, it can be stressful at times. So you need that. You need to decompress. Yeah. So um, I never get you know, that as like now being able to you know get to know Kurt a little bit. Like you guys have a job. Like the rest of us have a job. It's a very public facing job that everybody seems to have an opinion on. And it's mm-hmm. from a fan perspective, and the media does this too. Like if you're not actively. I don't know what they expect players to be doing if they're not like at the facility. It, it, it seems like the expectation is players can take no time off. Like if they're doing media or they're playing, you know, you know, they're streaming or they're playing video games in their own private time. And that happens to come out. It's like, they're not doing enough to get better or to, you know, for the goals of the team. And it's kind of you'll ridiculous. Be, you'll be a worse player in my opinion. And I would love to it. hear your take on this. Like, I think that if you're, yeah. if you're 24 seven football, you will never reach your potential. Ever. Like, because one thing will crush you and it will crush you. Where like, if you have things outside that you either look forward to or passionate about, or even like building, like it's not even about not having all your eggs in one basket. It's just like having a balance and disconnect in some way, shape or form. Like that's the number one thing I learned from Aaron Rodgers. Like when he was out of the building, he was out of the building. Like it, mm. and he made it very clear. Like I'm out of the building. Like my work is done. I've done my stuff, but like, I feel like the best people that I've ever been around, like I got this, like, Oh wait, they do other things. Like they're not just grinding out film until like the sun comes, you know what I mean? It's just not, I think you can over prepare and be worse at your job and you take away from your natural ability. Yeah. You, you burn yourself out. Yep. Um, it's like anything, like, like the, the, if you do one thing all day, like, yeah. And it's just repeatedly, repeatedly for so long, like, especially like with football, no, there's no way yeah. you're going to be able to sustain that for 18, 25 possible weeks, yeah. 18 to 25 possible weeks. Like it's, it's just, there's just no way. Yeah. There's just no way. And, um, yeah, like everybody needs to get away from it at some point, um, like throughout the week, you know, preparing, you know, for me, um, I know Tuesdays were a big day where, you know, I was still prepared for Wednesday, but it was a day for me to just yeah. relax and just kind of get away from, from ball a little bit. And then uh Friday, Friday evenings too, yeah. it's like before the game. So like, <clears throat> yeah, you can't be a robot. Like there's no way I'm waking up and like, football, football, <laughs> yeah. football. Yeah. Like no, like no Like way. maybe, no. like maybe your rookie year. I feel like that was for me like, okay, I got like my rookie year – in the bag and then like going into that off season, like I kind of started realizing like, wait, like I'm not going to get better if I'm just becoming a robot because like they didn't sign me to be a robot. Like I may be a little bit more off the cuff than what they wanted me to be. But <laughs> like they, like when I got signed somewhere, it was like the same philosophy. It was like, he's got a big arm. He can make plays. He can scramble. Like we just need him to hone it in a little bit. Like I, I feel like so many guys get stuck in this over preparedness and burnout and like if you put everything in and you're a robot and then it doesn't work then you're like really you have nothing and then you start losing your mental with it so i think like yeah obviously i think in the next 20 years those conversations will continue to change but for now let it be known there's a lot of gamers <laughs> where, 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 where do you think that comes from it. kurt and alameda <laughs> the need to feel like you have to be constantly nose down in the iPad, in the film, like, is that pressure that you feel like the organization is putting on you? Or are you looking around at other guys, veterans saying that's what they're doing? But I guess the counterpoint to that, Kurt, is you talked about Aaron Rodgers, like, that's not what he was. So so is that yeah. just self-inflicted? Or is it coming from somewhere that the feel the need to feel like in your rookie season, I got to be all about it 24 uh, seven? I personally just think it's like, yeah, just not knowing. Yeah. You know, new experience, first time in NFL. It's like, I'm not gonna mess bro, this up. I- 
<laughs> yeah, like I have to, like everything, everything it has to go into the, everything. And it's like, bro. Then just as you just see like how other people are, and then just you, through experience, you just okay. see like, I can. There's no way. Like, there's there's just no way to sustain that. Um, so, um, I would say yeah, just by watching other people and just through experience, like each year you just kind of you know refine like your routine and stuff like that and things that you do to get away from football. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that too. And I think like I I had a coach, like rest in peace, Greg Knapp. He was awesome for like setting my foundation on what my understanding yeah. of the game was. He was not like, he played like in the seventies or something like that. I think he played like a year or two. And his thing was like, he's not physically, he was not physically gifted. So he had to overprepare. He was always an overprepared person. And he bled that into his coaching. So like, the the amount of printouts and sheets that I got from him that were like all these different weird diagrams and stuff. Like I looked at them like, Oh my God, I can never play in this league. Like I can't do this shit. And then I realized after my first year, like, wait a minute, he's doing this for himself. I don't need this because this doesn't help me. And so once I started realizing like, what do I need to know every single week to feel the most prepared? Like I will do all of that plus a little bit more to make myself feel ready. But then after that, like I've got to be a football player and that's how like I went about preseason, which like the older that I got preseasons went better for me because I just started being me within the system. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a good balance. And I think that's what I learned more so than anything. The guys that I wanted to be like, I like looked at the routines. I looked at what they prepared for and what they like in the meeting rooms were talking about week over week as important like points. I put those in my toolbox of like, okay, he cares like, what are the third down blitz packages and like third and six to seven? Cause like, that's a lot more important than like maybe third and two to three. Cause they're just different situations. Um, so I, I just, I think the older you get, the more people you're around. And I was lucky. Like I was around some really damn good quarterbacks in my time. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to translate it into teaching football through Madden, like, and doing these shows. So um yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways to get it done, but I think there's balance to be had in all of it. Alameda, is there a time where you felt like that anxiety kind of went away? I, I can imagine for both of you coming out as un, undrafted free agents, you're just like scrap, scrap, scrap. Any day could be your last day in the league. But was there a time that that anxiety kind of subsided and you're like, all right, I feel more comfortable here. I feel like now I don't have to worry about getting cut. Like I can worry about getting better, having, you know, having results on the field. Uh, yeah, I think for me, um, funny enough, um, so Raheem Morris was my receiver coach when I went to Atlanta and, um, undrafted, you know, um, you know, scrapping my way, trying to just make the team. So, you know, we finished the preseason games and everybody knows like the cut weekend is like the most stressful time of the year. Like, so like, I just remember me that weekend. I was on the game heavy and I just <laughs> left my phone alone. Like I just didn't look at my phone at all. And um like I didn't I didn't get a call and I was just like I was like what's going on? And then um on the second day, Ra Ra called me and I was like, yo, what's like what's going on? He was like, nah, you good. I was like, all right. Like it's that simple, like <laughs> that's so funny. It was like he, he was like, nah, you good. I said, like, ooh. I said, all right, bet. And yeah, I made the team. And um, after then, it was just like, uh, it was kind of like security for me to be like, okay, like they value me in a certain way. So it just changed from, all right, now making the team, it's like, all right, now let's really get better. Like, let's really take this time and and just work on my craft and get better. Like I had, 
you know, great receivers in my room. So it was easy to learn from from those guys. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that that first year, man. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think for like people that are listening, the way that cuts work is like you there's two days of cuts. There's day one and day two. And you go through all of preseason like as if you're a part of this team in this culture. But as soon as cuts start, it's like you're on the outside looking in no matter what. Like they, people talk to you different. They treat you different. Like until who knows who is on the team. And then it resets when everybody, like when the team's established, whether you're practice squad or like one of the last few cuts. And how do you know your cut? They call you like this unknown scout number. Hey, bring your iPad in. Like, oh shit, it's over. And then you go into the, to the locker room and you hand in all your stuff and they'll tell you, hey, we want you to hang around for a day because we're going to plan on signing you to practice squad. Or like they don't, they're like, Hey, it's over. Like it's done. And so for Alameda, like a phone call from his receivers coach is like the most anticlimactic way to find out that you made the team. Because like from Raheem's perspective, like, no, bro, you made the team. Like, but from Alameda's perspective, like, are you going to tell, you know what I mean? It's like, you think that you're going to get the stamp of you made the team where it's really like, I didn't get a call. Okay. I made the team. So it's right. it's pretty wild how they do it. Yeah, um, stressful, stressful, stressful weekend. Man. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Rod, Rod definitely. Uh, yeah, he just made it known. He's like, "Bro, you good?" Yeah, yeah. Are there? I I don't want to hold you for much longer. I know we've we're already at thirty minutes. I feel like we could talk forever. Um, are there some places that you're eyeing right now? I'm, I'd imagine Atlanta being one of them. Like, I don't know. Would you want to go back to Philly? I don't know. New situation, new like receiver room. Who knows? Like, are there certain, maybe not even teams, but like what you're looking out of a situation? If you do want to share teams, like that's cool too. We don't have to, obviously. Um, wherever I get targets, yeah, man. That's it. Wherever I just play. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really it. That's the only stipulation. I love that. <laughs> like, well, let's go, you know? let's go find a place that you're going to get the ball this year and feel like you're contributing to something that's like moving things forward with the organization. I feel like sure. having some, some meaning behind it. <laughs> Need that. So, Need that. Well, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Um, welcome back anytime. I'm excited to see how this offseason plays out for you. Really excited to see how Atlanta plays out because I think like that would definitely be a full circle moment. But I just yeah. I want the same thing for you where you're getting the ball because 14 plus yards per catch in your career over probably he close to 100 catches now. Uh, 104 maybe? receptions right on the money, Kurt. 104. Did you even know you broke right. 100? I didn't. There you go. 104 receptions, almost 1,500 yards, 14.3 average, and 10 touchdowns. I'd say one touchdown out of every 10 receptions is not half bad. So it's pretty just good. Just go get some more receptions somewhere, dude. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate you coming through. Until Probably next man. time, bro. Yes, sir. Appreciate yeah, you, Kurt. You, Tyler, appreciate you as well. Awesome. See you, dude. All right, bro. Sweet. Dude, I love getting like I love getting different perspective. And obviously Lamade is one of my friends, but like I am never really in an interview format with my friends. So it's kind of yeah. cool to like, all right, let's like dive in a little bit and like think like ask him questions that I wouldn't ask him as a friend. Um, which right. is pretty cool. <laughs> the the veil of the interview is helpful to be like mm -hmm. it's not weird. <laughs> I'm not I'm not prying for this information. I'm just, you know, doing it for the content. Yeah, that's it, dude. I'm I'm excited for him. He's like Dude, every year, and like even when I was at UVA, like he came in as a running back, like a gadget running back, and ended up playing receiver. So like it was super raw at receiver when I was there, but like had a natural ability for like spatial awareness, getting out of cuts, like exploding after catching it. And 
like his yak was insane. It was like, dude, if he just gets to a place where like he can learn like the foundation of being a receiver, which he did in Atlanta, like yeah. I feel like he could have a 10 year career, which he's going on year six now and he's still got a lot left in the tank. Yeah. I mean, if the average NFL career is something like 2.7, you know, three years and yeah. he's doubled that, there has to be something about him that, that keeps him sticking around. He's just yeah. hoping for that, that breakout location where he actually gets targets to be able to showcase his talent. Yeah, dude, you look at like a lot of teams around the league too. Like, I feel like the Eagles more so than anyone. They threw to Goddard, they threw to Devonta, and they threw to AJ Brown. Like, that's really it. Yeah. And like, there are other places. Like, you look at Detroit. Like, they got Reynolds and like Raymond. They got JMO, obviously a Monra, a couple tight ends. Like, they spread the ball around a lot. And like, like yeah, Monra gets his, but there's other receivers that are always involved and. I don't know. I'd love to see him go to a place where it's not just honing in on a number one or number two. So yeah, I mean, we t- we talked all year about the Packers receiving core and how any given week there could be a number one guy. And, and yeah. you have like, I remember that Vikings game. It was like the Bo Melton game went off for over yeah two hundred yards and or over a hundred yards and a touchdown. It's like yeah, and it's, in the same regard, we talked about the Eagles offense being so stale and targeting it on on the same guy and. It's yeah. just totally a matter of circumstance. And I think that point that you guys made early on where it's a matter of circumstance, but at the same time, you don't have the time to figure it out. You know, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're working with a really short window to capitalize your NFL career. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that just sliding windows moment. It didn't work out. And yep. they're probably like really, really talented players that just never got a fair shake. I can, I can only imagine how many guys there are like that out there. Yeah, there's a lot. And I, it's, that's, that's the tough part about the NFL. It's like to make it to the NFL as tough as it is. Then to find the right place at the right time, right situation, right coaching staff, right support staff, right players. Like there's a lot of moving parts that have to happen for you to be successful. And that's why like you look at some quarterbacks who just cannot find a way to make it work in one organization, go somewhere else. And it's like, oh my God, this guy's our guy. Look at Baker Mayfield. Like Mm -hmm. he went from Cleveland to the Panthers, then to LA for the rest of the last season. And now he's in Tampa and like, he's their guy. And just needed the right guys around him. He's got some good receivers, got a good running back, solid defense, and they made a playoff run. So um, I do think like as much as people's success is on them, can't take it away from them. Like situations matter heavily. Like would Patrick Mahomes be where he is now if he had went to the bears? Like, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Because his development would have been entirely different. Like he wouldn't have had Andy Reid to learn from his schemes wouldn't have been, maybe fit to his playing style and his, like what he does well, would he have had, would he have been a talented player? Yeah. Like, of course that's, that's like the, the gold standard for him. He's super talented, but need a lot of things to go right in a career to be successful. And I think look at Justin Herbert, super talented, but like does not have the support around him. And now maybe he does with Harbaugh. We'll, we'll find out. But um, that's why I'm very like slow to judge players more so than I am quick to judge coaches because the players are just a lot of times they're in their situations and they're trying to manage their situations the best they can. Yeah. I think the most interesting case study of that situation versus player will be however this Justin Field situation shakes out. Yeah. If he goes somewhere and I know you're really, you're, I think you're high on him. Like if he goes somewhere and has success in, in a place where he is supported, I think that will be one, a huge indictment on the bears and their lack of stability and inability to draft and develop mm-hmm. a quarterback. And two, it'll, you know, it'll preach home to that point a little bit where, Hey, these guys, just because in year four, it hasn't all clicked yet. Like doesn't mean they're a complete bust. Yep. A hundred percent. Like, again, if you put, I mean, look at Jalen hurts, right? Like Jalen hurts had a pretty good run so far. And then he fell off at the end of this year. 
if Jalen Hurts didn't play for the Eagles in his first three years, or how what year is this? Year four for him? Uh, like, yeah. Like if you put Jalen Hurts on the Bears, I think Jalen Hurts' career looks a lot worse than Justin Fields. And that's not like an indictment on Jalen Hurts. I'm just like, Justin Fields has had the tougher situation, back against the wall, less talent around him, and he's got to find a way like on his own to make things happen more often than not. And then you look at Jalen Hurts, and it's like situation entirely different. And he's like, look at Tua. What would Tua look like on, you know, like, I don't know, the Vikings this year? Hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know, but I would say that it helps having Tyreek. It helps having Mostert have 18 rushes, rushing touchdowns on the ground. Like, it's Tua's doing a good job in his situation, but situations change. Like, it's that's why it's the NFL, man. It's beautiful because you just, there's so many moving parts and it's so unpredictable. Like, look at that Lions game up 24 7 at half, couple drops on fourth couple no field goals fumble and they lose the game biggest or second largest comeback in nfc championship history mm. like you just never know you can't predict this stuff you can't well let's get into the games a little bit we'll start with the chiefs win in baltimore yeah i did take the chiefs i got them at four and a half i think the Patrick well Mahomes factor that we talked about last week just a total you can never count this guy out and, I, and if he wasn't already i think he's now in that tom brady conversation where it's like everything stacked against him we went yeah. through all the reasons last week of why the Chiefs should not win this game, and they turned yep. around and did it. A lot of it on the back of Patrick Mahomes. What do you make of how this game shook out and maybe what this means for the uh, for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson going forward? Yeah, so the way that I saw this game, like Mahomes played lights out. Like his accuracy in critical situations, I actually didn't think that they were going to be able to sustain it because he was so lights out early in the game and they were barely winning. And typically, if you're only able to have a small margin and you're playing near perfect, you're going to lose that. And he played near perfect most of the game. And then you look at the Ravens on the flip side. The Ravens' biggest mistake in this game was not running the ball. Gus Edwards had three carries by like the end of the third quarter, midway through the third quarter. And I'm like, the only way that you were going to lose that game was if you didn't control the line of scrimmage and didn't control the clock and didn't run the ball. They kept going quick game. They kept like doing weird things, screens and stuff to try to get the ball out of Lamar's hands quick. And I'm like, your biggest two assets in that game were vertical run game with Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson after the play breaks down. If you're throwing screens and you're throwing quick game, quick game gets the ball out of Lamar's hands really fast. That's why it's called quick game. You take away his X factor because anybody can throw flats and slants, right? Like you want to drop back, make the defense push back, get into their soft zones and then him take off. Like that's how you get real big plays with him and get open in the scramble drill too. And I'm like, their game plan was so bad. And the Chiefs didn't make mistakes. They didn't turn the ball over. Like, they played sound football. And they, I don't know, it was just, it was a weird game. And I'm really questioning why the Ravens game plan was the way it was. Because just the week prior, the Bills ran all over that defense. A lot of rushing yards. Josh Allen up the middle on the sideline. Like, they just... There's no way that they looked at their game plan and compared it to what happened the week prior and felt like, yeah, this is the best thing that we can put together on the field in championship Sunday. What is the coach's logic? If you can give Todd Monk and the OC for Baltimore the benefit of the doubt, what is the logic of him totally abandoning what got them there? Is it something that he could have seen? We talk about Spagnuolo's defense being really, really good now through this playoffs, but it has to have been something there, right? Because completely yeah. abandoning your identity seems really, really odd. Yeah, it was... 
it was weird, man. I don't, maybe they thought they could get and take advantage on the edges in the pass game and get their guys in space more, but like it's, you're a tipped pass away and like uh, just a missed pass away on a bubble screen from like your ceiling of how good a play can be on those is very low where your ceiling on like a drop back deeper pass where he can scramble when you have your be- the best player in the NFL, the most athletic player in the NFL. Like, why would you want to get the ball out of his hands as quick as possible? Because the chiefs pass rush, like they weren't insane. They weren't like just hitting home. And I also think, there's no reason like every time they decided to run the ball vertically with Gus Edwards, not horizontally, vertically straight at them, they were slashing them and Lamar Jackson zone read 18 yards. Like it's, I just, um, I question like, did they just get in their own way? Because the chiefs were not on paper, the better team, but playoff chiefs playoff Mahomes, like Mahomes made plays when he needed to, he made plays all game long back shoulders to Kelsey, great special like on a like just a complete dagger the um at the end of the game to Marquez Valdez Scantling like they showed up in the situational football when they needed to um and they didn't shoot themselves in the foot let's give this Chiefs defense some credit they have played really well something that the Chiefs have relied on like all season and into the postseason has been this really stout defense what were you seeing that they were doing to make Lamar Jackson's job really tough because the one thing that I noted watching this game was the Ravens were not getting these easy points that they were all year. You're talking about one of the most explosive yeah. offenses, I believe, in terms of DVOA in NFL history. And then they mm-hmm. put up something like 10 points, and it looked yeah. tough for every single one of those points. Yeah, the the defense was trying to make the Ravens be as patient as possible all the way down the field. So they weren't bringing exotic pressures. They were literally just playing, from what I could tell, especially late in the game, They were rushing four, sometimes rushing three. They weren't doing aggressive stunts. They were trying to keep Lamar in the pocket and close the pocket in without allowing rush lanes to get out. So that takes away scramble drill. Um, They were doing that, and so there's always an extra person in coverage and zone. So like the spacing to get rid of the ball in the pass game was a little bit tighter. And the answer to all of that is running the ball. If they're going to rush less, if they're going to drop more in pass zones, you need to run the ball. Like you're going to get three, four five yards a pop. If you're going to run, if you're willing to run the ball and they were never down big enough to abandon the run. And I think the chiefs were daring them to run the ball and they just refused to do it. And I mean, I don't know how much easier Munkin could have made that job on Spags that on that Sunday. Like it's, I don't know, it, it, looking at it from a Madden perspective, it's like, holy shit, they're not doing the one thing that could kill us right now. Please don't do it. Oh my God, they're still not doing it. Like, you know what I mean? It was all game long. It was like everybody watching but him knew that if the Ravens decided to just buck up and run the ball vertically, they were going to have a game. But they got in their own way. I want to talk about Lamar Jackson for a second. So in his playoff his playoff career now, he's two for four. He has won zero conference championships, has thrown for six TDs and six interceptions. The narrative out of this would be Lamar can't win in the playoffs. He'll win a second MVP without having much playoff success. What do you make of that whole dialogue? Um, my thought is that he was begging for opportunities to make plays and the play calls didn't allow for that. So when you're having your best player on the field, throw bubble screens, throw screens, throw quick game, like get rid of the ball quick. You, you take away the scariest thing that he does, which is after the first play breaks down the scramble to throw or scramble to run. When you put him, when you take away those opportunities, to even get into those situations as often as they did, then the end of the game comes up and you need them. It, I felt like I was watching Josh Allen all over again, where like you're neutralizing your own best player by play calling. 
because you don't want to risk something against this Chiefs team. And I don't know if it's like, are you afraid of the Chiefs? Are you afraid of Mahomes and what he can do? Are you trying to limit possessions? I don't know. Are you trying to play ball control? But it's clearly not working because you can't play ball control type of offense versus a defense that is also really good. Like you have to be willing to pick your poison. And both teams, Bills and Ravens, decided to pick a slow death versus the Chiefs than actually give themselves a fighting chance. I feel like the Chiefs are just at this level now where they're so good, they're not going to make a mistake. And so if you sit there and you also try not to make a mistake, it seems like the the, the Chiefs are never going to blink first. And they're always going to be able to sustain a game without, you know, with fewer mistakes than the Ravens or yep. the Bills, like you mentioned. And I just don't know when people are going to realize like, hey, you can't you can't play their same game. They're going to try to drag you down and, and play a certain style. And yeah. it, now the Ravens and the Bills have, have tried to do that and lost. Yep. And you look at it like, look, man, when did the Chiefs have pressure on them at all that game yesterday? Like not by play calling, not by the score on the field, like not by any of it. They, had, they really were playing with house money all game yesterday. Like if they made a mistake, it wasn't the end of the world because they had the lead. They were having no pressure on them. Like the Ravens didn't do what the Ravens do best and the chiefs in my opinion like got to skate through that game like it wasn't a good game to watch yeah we're going to talk about the super bowl a little bit later this week and we have a whole week to do it but i want to sit on this note of coaches seeming to get away from what got them to a certain position so the ravens this explosive offense all year they kind of turtle back into their own shell similarly dan Campbell with the lions seem to be mm-hmm. wishy-washy on some fourth down field goal late game situational type stuff Let's talk about this 49ers win against Detroit. And first, the, the, the play calling and, and the coaching and some of these decisions yeah. by Dan Campbell. Just talk on that for a little bit. Yeah, so the way that I looked at that game, like Dan Campbell had so much confidence in his, confidence in his players to go for it on fourth down, which I respect. There's also a point where like three-score lead in the NFL is a safer lead than a two-score lead, regardless of how confident you are in your players. And I don't think he took into account how his receivers were playing that game. So a lot of drop passes, so a lot of like questionable, like not very sharp things by the receivers. That game might just not have been your game to be aggressive. And either one of those field goals that they should have taken would have got them to at least overtime. But I also don't even think they would have went to overtime because the pressure would have been on the 49ers to play a little bit differently. You play differently when there's a two-score lead versus a three-score lead. When there's a three-score lead, you have to play faster offense, and the Niners didn't do that well. As soon as you didn't make it a three-score game, you let them chill out and run their regular game plan. You didn't put them into hurry up, hurry up mode. And the Niners were able to feast on that. Like they, they've gotten away with it two weeks in a row. And I, that's kind of why I feel the way I do about the Super Bowl. Like I don't think that the best two teams are in it. I think the teams that played the best later in it, which I guess that's what it's about. But mm-hmm. um, looking at that, like 24 to seven and a half, one field goal makes it a three score game. And it was a three score game there, but like once they got 10, if you would have got another one, and at the end of the day, your players weren't playing well enough to trust them that day on Sunday to go for it in the situations that you did. Were the play calls fine? Yes. Like, did they drop passes? Yes. But if your players aren't playing well, you have to take it and understand that, in my opinion, from a coach and be like, look, we're going to take it out of their hands for this drive. We're going to take the pressure off of our players. Like, okay, we don't got to have it on this fourth down because we have a 17-point lead again because we kicked the field goal. Next drive, just go get back into a rhythm where every next drive was like, oh my God, we need this. We're going to lose this game. Mm-hmm. So the momentum was never able to be, or the pressure was never never able to be taken off of the receivers to just like get their act back together. Can't you make the argument that 
that aggression is what got them here in the first place. And to abandon that is what turns you into a Brandon Staley type where all of a sudden you get a little wishy-washy and it's that indecisiveness that can kill you. I do think I, my biggest part of this though is like, we're talking about a three point, three score lead versus a two score lead late. And I also think that you didn't abandon the aggressiveness because you called three trick plays. Like you had yeah. one that should have been a touchdown that like slipped out of golf's hand. You had another one that was like, I think a missed throw, like, Goff played well in critical downs, but throughout the course of the game, kind of missed some throws here and there. That was like, ah, maybe we shouldn't trust on fourth and got to have it to put our quarterback who might be having a weird game. And our, you've also seen passes slip out of his hands all game long. Like it's the ball didn't look like it was coming out amazing. And then also your receivers had a lot of drops, wide open, chest, face mask. Even your secondary, the the play to Ayuk should have been a pick. Like you should have had two interceptions. Like so just. Felt like one of those things of like with the players across the board with the Lions, like they were not ready for the moment. And maybe Dan Campbell could have alleviated that by being a little more conservative and kicking field goals. That's my perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's probably like a sliding scale of aggression. Like there's the aggression that you play with in Madden where it's fourth and 20 on your own 20 yard line. And you're mm -hmm. like, it's just a video game. We're going to go for it. And then yeah. there's, as you described, smart probably analytically based moves where making it a three score game is much more beneficial than making it a two score game. And yes. it's in those margins that it feels like Dan Campbell messed up a little bit. I agree. I agree. man. We we're, were talking about before this recording a little bit, how you don't feel like the future is so bright for Detroit. Obviously it's great for them to make the NFC championship, something that they haven't done ever, if not just in a, you know several decades, but it seems like they're going to lose Ben Johnson. Talk to me about how you feel about the future of this Lions team. Yeah. So first off, the NFC North for the Lions will not get any easier than it was this year. Like, it's only going to get harder. Teams are going to reload. Packers are going to be better. Vikings for sure will be better. Bears probably will be better. They can't be much worse. So, like, you have that. You're going to lose your OC. That's tough because he's been the difference maker, in my opinion, creatively. Hopefully you can replace him and someone else can step up. But you look at, like, their path to getting to the Super Bowl this year, it will never be easier. It will never be easier. You played against the Eagles, who they sucked. Like they got in, had a higher seed, but ended up sucking late in the year. Abysmal. They now have fired their OC in DC. They should be better next year, especially late. There's one. Then you played the the Bucks, NFC South team who like probably shouldn't even have been in the playoffs, but like they made it, whatever, had a little fun. But like that path from a bad Eagles team to a Bucks team to get to an NFC championship will never get easier. And then and then you look at getting to the second half of the NFC championship game. You just happen to come out and smack somebody in the mouth, go up 24 seven. You are 30 minutes away from a super bowl. And all you have to do is hold on to a lead. That trajectory of those three game sequences for the lions will never get easier. And so if they couldn't do it this year, I don't know when they will be able to do it. The NFC is going to get tougher. You had more QB injuries than ever before. The Lions were one of the healthiest teams in the playoffs. They happened to find a way to stay healthy. They gritted out some crazy, like they, they had a lot of stars aligned to get as far as they did this year, in my opinion. And yes, they're going to have some talent. They're going to have some young guys that step up, keep getting better. They have a great tight end, great running back. Like I get that, but the path is not going to get any easier. And if you couldn't do it this time, I don't know when you're going to do it. The one thing I will say on behalf of Lions fans that you mentioned, they're, they're young. They're, they're a young team in, in some positions that really matter. Tight end, offensive line, running back. You start to get a little worried where I believe after next year, Jared Goff becomes an unrestricted free agent. And so what do you pay him? 
how much do you pay him? That will probably hamstring some of the things you're able to do. And then with all these young guys, you have to pay them eventually. So yeah. I'm of the opinion that the window is probably still open, but you're right. If you look back circumstantially, it, it was pretty easy for them and 30 minutes left and they couldn't pull it off. Yep. Yeah. It's one of the biggest blown, like in a game that again, they, they, in my opinion, it had to go exactly how it did for them to have a chance. They sure. got it. Like they, they, you know what I mean? Like everything worked in that first half to get exactly where they were and they blew it. And look, the Niners aren't going to, the Niners are going to come back next year. They're going to have a very similar roster. The Packers are going to be better next year. The Cowboys are going to be better next year. Probably the Eagles for sure will be better next year. Um, then you have, I don't know, the Rams, like the Rams, who knows what they're going to look like, but Stafford's still there. He's a problem. I'm just like, I'm looking around the NFC and I'm like, ah, this is probably as, as easy of a path to the Super Bowl as it gets. And if you couldn't do it now, I just don't know when they're going to find a way to do it. So let's look, yeah, let's flip it over to the 49ers. Uh, Brock Purdy, my favorite part about these last two games as it comes to a media narrative, specifically about Brock Purdy, is that you can look at the game. We can all watch the same game and you can make your argument for whether you think Brock Purdy is overrated, a game yeah. manager and completely mid, or you can make the argument if you want to that he's great, he's underrated, he's yeah. one of the top five quarterbacks in the league by looking at the same game. So yep. as you analyze this, how do you come out on Brock Purdy? Yeah, I what I'm going to say right now is Brock, when he's put in a situation that plays to his skill set, is one of the better players in the league. When he has the pass pro that's not like stuffy, not seven-man pro, three-man routes, deep play action under center, like it's hit, it's very like sink or swim. Like it's, it's, you're either going to get a huge crosser that goes for 40 yards or you might throw a pick. There's no real in between there. And when you have him under center, dropping back, throwing deep out routes, like three, he sailed a few of them out of bounds. Like that's not his cup of tea. And I think the Niners in the second half realized that like, look, if we're going to win this game, we have to play to Brock's strengths. We can't play to Shanahan's favorite scheme, favorite stuff he likes to do. We have to get all five guys out in coverage. We have to give him lanes to escape in our pass pro. And we have to allow him to make plays with his feet because that's when he's dangerous. His scramble ability, like that changed the entire game. And that's what golf lacks. And that's why I think golf ceiling is so low. Like he, golf has to play perfect with perfect pass pro to put the lines in a position to have a chance to win. With Purdy, like shit was not clean in the second half. He should have been sacked a few times. Should have been this, should have been that. And next thing you know, he's like squirreling out of a sack, running for four, like 30 yards, whatever. That's what makes him dangerous. And also he's a very willing thrower. Like he's not afraid to try to fit it in on the scramble drill. He obviously throws some picks here and there. He should have had like five balls intercepted in the last two weeks. <laughs> did he get a little lucky? Yes, he did. But at the end of the day, like when the moment is not too big for him and he's going to scrap until the end, I think that's like the sign of what he can be. He's in his second year. Like if you don't think he's going to learn from his dumb potential interception type plays, he's going to learn. And the 49ers, their scheme-wise, if they play more like they did in the second half with, like, allowing him to go a little more hurry up, get guys out in space, like, not just run, like, out route over, check down, they could be dangerous because he has that type of, like, it to him. So I think this is all about, like, how do you manage the situations you're putting him into? Are you going to ask him to be a robot or are you going to ask him to, like, go be him? And I think the older that he gets in the system, the more him and Kyle do things together. They're going to let Purdy be Purdy. And the second half version of Purdy is a pretty scary thing for the league. The first half, 
please like let's play against him you know so yeah that that goes the situations of the same thing we talked about earlier like if you look at play calling and the situations Purdy was asked to do or like being put into first half you'd think he sucked second half you'd think he was all world because he's making all these crazy plays like lamar type breakouts of sacks and stuff so like we just gotta i don't know it's the nfl man yeah what, what do you make of these rumors it seems like i think another one came out a couple earlier this week where they were making a call on like tom brady at the beginning of the year kyle shanahan was and then yeah. last year you get a couple rumors about replacing purdy it doesn't seem like they have a ton of confidence in him if those keep coming out i don't know where they're coming from it could be an agent thing but yeah. what do you make of this discussion that brock purdy maybe isn't the guy like if a Kirk cousins comes up available that kyle shanahan would rather have him than brock purdy i don't think that's true i think that he would lose the locker room if he moved on from purdy um i think the guys love purdy the guys know what purdy's capable of capable of and i think kyle knows what he's capable of kyle just has to find the fine line of like do i want purdy to run my scheme or am i going to start catering my scheme to him because it's really easy to beat up on bad teams with Purdy running the scheme. It's hard to beat good teams when you just need him to be perfect in the system like a robot. So you can't got to let him fly, man. Can't keep him in a cage forever. You got to like give him opportunities to go make his weird plays. And I think that's like, if they win a Super Bowl, dude, like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Let the, let the cage out, let him out the cage. Like let the reins off and like, let's go see how high we can take this offense. Yeah, I mean, you know the discourse is not going to change, though, if they win a Super Bowl. We're still going to have the same conversations next year about Brock Purdy being a game manager, not being an elite quarterback. Even with, like, it's the best part about the debate surrounding him yeah. is that whatever happens, you're still able to find a little shred of something that confirms whatever opinion you had coming into yeah. the debate. Yeah, no, I, I believe that. And I think, you know, I look at these two and I'm like, okay, if Tua... If Tua played for the 49ers, would the 49ers be a Super Bowl team? And I'm going to say no. I don't think so. I don't. I think you've got to have, like, to be a Super Bowl team that's going to consistently make it there, you've got to have that after the play is broken down ability to, like, create. And we saw in the Chiefs game, he couldn't do it. Like, could not do it. If you put Purdy into the Dolphins, like, I think the Dolphins elevate. Like, truthfully, I think that they are a better team with his ability to, like, break out of the mold get on the edge, make plays in the scramble drill. Like the guys that can do that have a better chance because you don't have to coach everything perfectly every single play to have success. And I think like that's the way the NFL is going. That's the way it's been going. And that's why guys like Purdy can have success right now and actually be a guy in a franchise because teams are willing to adapt to that. I agree. Well, we have a Super Bowl matchup. Finally, we have one game of football left. We have an entire week off. We've, I mean, we've been preparing the listeners for this a bit, Kurt. I think every yeah. week we've been trying to take stock of how much football we have left and, and trying to enjoy it. But now there's one game left and we're thrust into the abyss of the off season. I know, man, we got to figure out what we're going to do. I know what we're going to do. We're still going <laughs> to figure it out. I'm excited. Yeah. There's still going to be a lot to talk about. I think like <clears throat> having more guests on is going to be nice mm-hmm. talking about some of the college stuff coming up, some of these players breaking them down, talking about them. But like, it's, it feels weird because I'm like, there's only two teams to talk about now. Yeah. There's two teams. It's one storyline two weeks long of a break. Like it's, it's been a fun run this year and I'm excited to see what year two looks like. I'm definitely excited for the Super Bowl, but I'm also excited to turn the page and navigate an off season together for the first time. It'll be a we're going to be able to bring so many more teams into the fold. You, you, talk, you get to this point, And by the time we're sitting here next week, Monday or Tuesday, yeah. 
we're going to be pretty tired about talking about these two teams. And so being yeah. able to bring in and circulate fresh blood and talk about, I mean, we'll be talking about the commanders and the giants, you know, teams that are relevant about again in, in months. Right. I mean, this yeah. is the season where you're selling hope you're selling. Yeah. Oh, your we'll team sell you a lot of hope. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll sell every, a lot of hope. Every team's going 16 to no next year after, yeah. after we release our mock drafts. And this is how, <laughs> well, Not a bad thanks for guiding us through another, another good episode. Tyler It was fun. Excited to have some more guests on excited to talk some more ball. And until next time, guys, if you guys are enjoying the episodes, definitely like comment, subscribe, Tell us what you want to hear a little bit more of on Twitter. Maybe some guests you want us to have on and reach out to. We're excited to keep building this out, and we'll see you guys next time. 